0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching.
1: As we just look back and we see through the varied experiences of the year, we can reflect on God's goodness to us, right? And um, as we step into 2013, we consider the fact that we're pilgrims in this world. We are travelers making our way through. And, you know, we're heading home. This world isn't our home. But whilst we're here, we do have a work to do. And it's important that we have our focus fixed right as we make our way because there are so many distractions. So many, some of you guys might be familiar with Pilgrim's Progress and you see, read the story by John Bunyan, Christian classic of the pilgrim that's making his way to the land of promise. And there are so many different distractions and diversions and so on to beset him along the way and to, to trap him along the way. Um... And that's the reality for us as Christians. And yet, we appreciate that we serve a faithful God who will finish the work that he started in us unto the day of Christ Jesus. Normally, as we enter into the new year, we'll set up the year by having a kind of like... um, our version of the Queen's Speech, if you like, a kind of state of the church address. And we're actually going to deal with that next week. Um, Pastor P comes back from America on Tuesday. And so um, we'll deal with that next week. And um, in the meantime, one of the things I really have just had on my heart as being something to develop throughout the course of the year is for us to consider what it really means to be disciple. You know, we talk about being a healthy church as being our goal, our desire, our aim, our vision. A healthy church, equipped to disciple, effective in outreach. And that healthy aspect is very much based on how we relate to God and relate to one another. How, what our relationships look like and not expecting that our relationships are going to be without challenge and without issue but that we deal with them in a healthy way whether it's our relationship with God and us drawing near to him with a personal commitment to follow hard after him whether it's working that out in relationship with others but that we'd be in a good state of health in terms of our identity as the church the people of God the called out ones set apart By God, for God, through God. And to be equipped to disciple. That is for every disciple to be equipped to make disciples. That make disciples. And so the work of the ministry, as we see in Ephesians 4, is the job of the body. And it says in Ephesians 4 that the Lord gave gifts, apostles, prophets evangelists, pastor, teachers, to equip the church for the work of the ministry, to equip the body for the work of the ministry. And so all of us are called to be disciple makers. And you might not fancy yourself as an evangelist. You might not really see yourself as that kind of go-getter gospel salesperson. But everyone has a part to play in the process of discipleship. Discipleship doesn't just mean evangelism. It's about mission and us living our lives on mission as strangers and pilgrims in this world. And so we consider these things, and fundamental to it is us being a disciple. What does it really mean to be a disciple? And so it's important that we do appreciate and understand that because that is fundamental to who we are. When the Lord called the apostles and sent them out, we familiar with the Great Commission. Go forth and make disciples. Not make converts. Not make fans. But make disciples. And... If the gospel has reached us and reached our lives Then that is what we are to have become A disciple And so let's pray Um, You can turn to Psalm 23 Because that's where we're going to kind of camp But we're just going to have some considerations On the dynamics of discipleship today Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father We are do ask for your aid. Do ask for your grace as we consider who we are in relation to you. We recognize that that is the only aspect of our identity that really matters. It doesn't matter how we see ourselves or how other people see us, but it's all about how you see us and us adopting and embracing the identity. Who we are in you, who you have made us to be. And so help us today, Lord. We thank you for your work in and through our lives, and we know that you're not finished. We're encouraged, Lord. We are encouraged that you are with us. And though we may be few, yet we are strong, because, Lord, We are in you and you are in us. Help us, Lord, I pray. Not to merely hear these words and go about our business, but that these words would take up residence in our heart and they would change our very consistency as individuals, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So a disciple is a follower. A disciple is a follower. The term actually communicates much more than simply one who follows. A disciple is a disciplined learner. A disciplined learner. So the disciple is one who follows in a disciplined and attentive fashion. in a disciplined and attentive fashion. And the disciple is a learner, not merely in the sense of wanting to take in information, but rather to be transformed into the image or to become like the one whom they are following. When Jesus in Matthew 4 walked by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw the the two brothers, Simon and Andrew, and he said to them, follow me, for I will make you fishers of men. They knew that this was not a casual inquiry or invitation. They knew that this was not merely a temporary um, excursion that they were about to go on. But this was a call to abandon their lifestyle, forsake all, and follow Jesus. They knew that this wasn't just an exercise in learning information. But based on whatever they knew of Jesus, they were expecting to become like him. this is the call to discipleship. When Jesus says, if anyone comes after me or if anyone follows me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. He was acknowledging one, that this is what he would do. And two, that this is a must for anyone who will choose to be, who would desire to be like him. And so discipleship becomes much more than just a college class. Discipleship becomes much more than simply well let me just get some information that's going to benefit my life, that's going to help improve my life and the way that I live so that I can get more out of what I want absolutely not it was a call to abandonment It is a call to abandonment. It is a call to losing our own identity. So, you know, we are kind of... We have this persona amongst our friends. We have this image that we, you know, work hard at keeping up. And maybe it's in the car that we drive or the clothes that we wear or the places that we go and that we're seeing or the work that we do or the education that we have or all of these things contribute to us having a sense of identity. But none of them mean anything in the scope of real discipleship apart from them being surrendered to Christ. So the success of our children at school the decor in our house, the amount of money we have, or for some, the amount of money we don't have. Some people take pride in kind of being ghetto. <laughs> As if there's some pride to be had in that. I'm ghetto, man, you don't know how life is hard out here. <laughs> Whatever it is for you. At the end of the day, these are the things that so readily contribute To our sense of identity. And yet Jesus says, Death to that. Death to that. Thank you so much, sis. This is a big glass. And a jug as well, you know. And so when we answer the call to follow Christ, may we appreciate that it is that, that call to forget what you heard, forget who you were, and now invest our entire being in seeking to become like Christ. The Apostle Paul reiterated this a number of times. He said in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators. Some translation read, Follow me as I follow Christ. Many of us are familiar with it in those terms. Such was the complete investing of oneself in following that it's easily translated as being, be imitators. Because it's not just the kind of Twitter follower where you kind of click, follow. They come up on your timeline. Sometimes you retweet, but then you don't. Stuff that, it's like, you can take it or leave it. It's that kind of passive observance. That's not the kind of follow that Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, be imitators of me. Where I go, you go. What I do, you do. How I think, you think. What I say, you say. What I like, you like. And what I don't like, you don't like. Now, for some of us, right up until that last part, we were good. But then when it gets to the place of our affections and us liking what God likes and disliking what God dislikes, often that's when the real challenges arise. Because, you know, we just loved that new Rihanna album. And I say, well... Would Jesus sit down and love it with you? And we could go through so many other things in life, right? The reality is that it's a call to a complete abandonment of ourselves to the point where we become imitators. Somebody's supposed to be able to walk through E Street Market, see us on the store, look at us and think, hmm, is that a real Jesus? Or is that a fake? You know, like when you got the, uh, it's been ages since I've been on E Street, but I know they used to kind of, used to be able to get like a pair of Nike Jordans down there for like 10 pounds. And you're like, wow, how does that work? I remember I was at school one time, and um, some boy had on some trainers, and I think, I don't know, they might have been Air Maxes or something. And someone was like, yeah, yeah, them them, them trainers ain't real, sir. I was like, well, how do you know that? You can tell by the stitching. (laughs) And there was always some way to tell the imitation, however good, And it really didn't matter that you had them on and they looked like the real thing. The fact that they weren't just, you know, put you in (laughs) B-class. Didn't get the ratings. But we get ratings for being imitations of God. We get ratings for being imitations of Jesus. In Ephesians 5 verse 1. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God. You think, how can anyone imitate God? How can anyone even think to imitate God? Isn't that just an exercise in futility? Aren't you just wasting your time banging your head against the wall trying to imitate God? Well, God wouldn't have said it if it weren't possible. Knowing that it is him who makes it possible in our lives. And that's something that we have to understand and appreciate. If we're endeavouring to imitate God, if we're endeavouring to follow Christ in our own strength, then we are not genuinely following Christ. As somebody once said, it is impossible to live the Christian life. It's impossible. It requires a work of divine grace. We need to be touched by God in order to do that. And that's the whole point of the gospel. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead now dwells in those who believe. And so if the Spirit of Christ lives in us, then we can be certain that we can live like him. And so the call to discipleship is to, to, with complete abandonment, follow. Now one of the challenges with following someone can often be a a lack of assurance, a lack of confidence in where they might lead us. One of the reasons sometimes my wife won't follow my instructions when we're driving is because she says, you always got long shortcuts. (laughs) I'm not going your long shortcut way to end up in a dead end and have to turn around and go all back around and travel the same road and then take twice as long. Confession is good for the soul, right? And so sometimes to follow a person can be somewhat of a risky endeavor for us because we don't really know where they might lead us and we may not really trust them to lead us well. Psalm 23 is a great insight and consolation to our hearts because it speaks of the one that we follow and the way in which he leads us. And we see that he and his way is absolutely good. This is a psalm that many of us will be familiar with. So when I was growing up with my grandmother, I had to recite this psalm before I went to my bed at night. I had to recite it in the, in the King James. That's all we had them times. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me. He maketh me to lie down. He restoreth my soul. Some of you might have got it like that. Or maybe in a slightly different accent. But she's still got it. <laughs> One of the most famous of all Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. It's a good psalm to memorize if you haven't. And we get this picture of the Lord being a loving shepherd. Caring for his sheep. This was written by David, the psalmist, who knew about caring for sheep, right? Because as was the custom in ancient Israel, the youngest in the family would normally be the shepherd. And so we see the scene in 1 Samuel when Samuel the prophet comes to Jesse's house to anoint a king. And Jesse gets all of his sons out in front of Samuel. And um, little David's not there. Where was David? He was in the field, in the sheep pen, looking after the sheep. And that was customary. You know, the job of a shepherd was one socially regarded as one of the lowest forms of job amongst the people, even at the time of Christ's birth. So when we sing, while shepherds watch their flocks by night, we kind of have this sort of romantic, sentimental view of these shepherds Noblemen with their staffs watching over their sheep. And you know what? The people of that time would have been like shepherds. Dirty, filthy, low-down, disgusting individuals. Shepherds had a reputation for being crooks and thieves. Shepherds had a reputation even for having sex with animals. And yeah. Yeah. And so they were not, you know, the the flavor of the month. They were not regarded with respect. They weren't even regarded with dignity. And yet we see Jehovah God declaring his covenant name in verse 1, Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. Talk about God condescending in his identification with us. It doesn't say, the Lord is my king. It doesn't say, the Lord is my ruler. But the Lord is my shepherd. And even from the point of view of the lowest in society, God allows himself to be identified with such a lowly status as by his Holy Spirit he inspires the psalmist David to state these words. That, why he might, that we might know he is near to us, however low we might feel, however unworthy we might feel however disrespected and undignified we might feel. And yet the Lord is near to us because he's a shepherd. And if the shepherds are seen as the lowest of the low and they look after sheep and I'm one of the Lord's sheep, then I know that However low I get, however low I feel, however sinful I am. I've got a shepherd who's near to me, who can relate to where I'm at and who cares about me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not have any lack. The shepherd's primary job was to provide food for the sheep primary job to provide food for the sheep, not to entertain them, even though sometimes a shepherd played with the sheep, not merely to fleece them and make a profit from them, but it was that he might caringly provide food for them to sustain and to build them up. And we know that the Lord provides for us. The Lord has provided for us in that we have no lack. The Bible says that in First Peter that we have been granted all things that pertain to life and godliness. All that we need for living is found in God's word. How much do we appreciate that? That all that we need for life and godliness is found in the word of God. How often do we look for life outside and everywhere else other than the word of God? So we flick on the TV for the wisdom of the world. We go to the magazines or we'll listen to our friends... And do all of these things before we would go to the word and find true life and nourishment. This is what the shepherd provides. And the way in which the shepherd provides that is that he leads the sheep. Shepherds in Israel go before the sheep and the sheep follow. And again, we see this picture of discipleship where the sheep follow the shepherd. Now, in our culture, we're more familiar with the shepherds driving the sheep from behind. I remember back in the day, I used to get home from school and used to see this program on the TV sometime, one man and his dog. (laughs) Remember that, bro? Random show... (laughs) One man and his dog, walking in the fields with his sheep, dog on either side if he's got a big flock, sticking his hand and he's, come by, come by, come by. He's making all kinds of signs and calls and noises and the dogs are going all over the place and the sheep are all moving and he's there behind giving a little act to the ones that are lagging behind. And but that's completely the opposite to... Shepherding in the east. Because the shepherd would just walk ahead of the sheep. And the sheep would follow. And in fact, when Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, and another they will not follow, it wasn't just the spirit, that, wow, that's so spiritual that was a practical reality that they would have all understood. Because even when shepherds came round a drinking pool together and their flocks intermingled, when they were getting ready to move on, a a shepherd would stand up and he would just call out. And his sheep would start to gather themselves at the sound of his voice. And even if somebody else called out with the same phrases, the same noises his sheep wouldn't go to them because his sheep know his voice. And so when the shepherd led the sheep, he just called to them and they followed. Now for so many of us, when it comes to discipleship, we feel like God's got to chase us We feel like God's got to, he's really got to um, create circumstances and, and make us go his way. That's not the life of a true disciple. Because a true disciple has had their heart renewed. And their ears open by God. So that when the Lord calls, we hear And we have a willingness of heart to follow that is God-given. And if we feel like God has always got to crash into our lives and drive us in his direction, then you need to reflect on just how genuinely a, a disciple you really are. Because true disciples, true followers real sheep, follow the voice of the Lord. And it's interesting because even when the sheep might go astray, the shepherd wouldn't chase them. So you guys are familiar with David being a shepherd, right? And he had a, he, when he fought Goliath, he had a, a sling and some stones. And that was a, 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 a basic um, kind of tool that shepherds would use when leading their flock, and they might look back and see sheep wandering off, and they would just put a stone in the sling, and they would just kind of flick it just on, on the outside of the sheep as a kind of a, a sign to, uh-oh, you're going off too far, just just stay on track. So the shepherd wouldn't run from in front of the sheep and leave leading the sheep, and he would just cast a stone as a marker and it would fall and it would hit the floor and the sheep would veer back into the flock. If you find that your life is in a place where God is constantly having to chase you down to get your attention and to get you to walk in the right way, then you need to reflect very seriously on where you're at. Because that's not the mark of a true disciple. The shepherd leads, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So what would happen is the sheep would eat and once they've eaten, they'd sleep. <laughs> Nothing strange there, we're used to that, right? Christmas Day, yeah, you eat, stretch out in front of the telly, sleep. For some. And I'll just speak for myself here. Yeah. <laughs> but true was such for the sheep. Eating in the green pastures, eating their fill, lush, fresh food. They would sleep. They'd rest. They would rest in the afternoon as it was cool. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep are easily agitated. And if the waters were too vigorous, they wouldn't drink the water. They'd be too scared. And so, in following the shepherd, He's going to lead you to food and he's going to lead you to refreshment such as is good for you. It's going to be the kind of refreshment that you need and that is going to be accessible to you because he's a faithful shepherd who knows the way in which he walks. And when your soul feels faint and you feel weary He restores your soul. He leads in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, when the Lord calls us to walk in righteousness as he is, to walk in holiness as he is holy, he does so for his name's sake because we bear his name. And in doing so, We can either honor or dishonor his name. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't say that we won't go through it as Christians. But even if we go through it, we don't have to fear any evil. Why? Because his presence is with us. And notice the shift here. The shift from... the the Lord as leader, a shepherd leader out front, as we get to the the valley of the shadow of death, we recognize his presence beside us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the rod was, some said, like a arm made of hard wood, like a, a police baton. And it would have a knot on the end. And it was, it, was a, it was a stick that was used to fend off wolves and thieves. And it was, a, it was a stick of protection. But also it was a means by which they counted the sheep. And so often when they had to mark out a tenth of the flock, they would allow the sheep to pass underneath the rod and they would put some dye on the stick and then every tenth sheep, they would drop the rod and mark it. Mark the tenth sheep. And those that are marked would be set aside as an offering unto the Lord. The staff was a staff that was used to provide support. It was Some, some may have seen it. It would be a, a stick with a kind of hooked end, an open hook. And it was used on occasion to draw the sheep close to the shepherd. And there's that sense of protection, that sense of intimacy experienced between the sheep and the shepherd. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Anointing our heads with oil, a cup overflowing. This seems maybe a little random to us. If I'm in the presence of my enemies, the last thing I want to be doing is sitting at a table. And yet, in that culture, in that day and age, it was often done as a symbol of covenant protection. That we're going to sit down and eat together, me demonstrating my allegiance to you and you to me. And the fact that we have each other's back, And evidently in the situation where there was one who was weaker and the other stronger, it was an expression of the commitment of the stronger to protect the weaker. We will sit and we will eat together and it doesn't matter who's looking. It doesn't matter what enemies are after you. They can see that I have got your back and I am going to protect you. God has got your back. In the face of your enemies And the anointing with oil Representing the Empowering of the Holy Spirit Enabling us to stand In the face of our enemies And then as we finish in verse 6 We see that Not only is The Lord our shepherd before us And beside us But he is our rear guard Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because we follow the good shepherd. Goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall be left in my trail, left in my wake all the days of my life. there are none who are going to be able to sneak up behind me and derail me and I shall live in the house of the Lord forever the sheep pen was a place of safety a place of protection and provision it was a place that was a real place of rest in the flourishing season when the shepherd would be at home not having to travel far for food because the climate was such that food was bearing everywhere and so the shepherd would stay close to home and enjoy rest and relaxation and the sheep would enjoy the comfort and security of the sheep pen. And such is our lot as disciples, as we follow our Lord as our shepherd, we are able to do so with confidence. We're able to follow him with complete abandonment. Because as we see in the psalm, he is good and all his ways are perfect. And as we go into 2013 and as we evaluate our lives in relationship with God, are you following the shepherd? Are you following? Are you following with a complete abandonment? I'll end by reading some verses from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Thank the Lord for his word and the work of his spirit. Enabling us to gain an insight and an understanding of he who is the good shepherd. Regardless of the reputation of shepherds, Jesus is that good shepherd. The one who lays down his life for his sheep. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the fact that Father you sent your son who is the good shepherd the one who calls the sheep and enables us to follow Lord and I pray Lord that in our journey of discipleship Lord that we would learn to trust you to trust your voice to trust your leading that Lord we would Learn to be submissive, that Lord, we wouldn't find ourselves in a place where we are constantly having to be chased by you. Because, Lord, we know that this is not the way that you function, this is not the way that you lead your sheep. But you say, Here is the way walk in it and so Lord we do pray that you would help us help us Lord to follow hard after you and enjoy the blessings and enjoy the benefit of provision and protection in doing so Lord why why would we want these things So that your name would be greatly glorified, Lord. You are God, maker of heaven and earth, sustainer of all things. And Lord, we recognize that you deserve all the honor, all the glory, all the credit. Lord, your reputation is to be above all others. And it is through us as your people, Lord, that you have determined. To make yourself known. We are your people. We are your church. We are to be imitators of you that people might know you through us. Not just those in the world, Lord, but that we might each experience you as we interact with one another, imitating you. And Lord, we know we need that. And so, Lord, I pray that you would um, refresh us, renew us, Lord. At the heart of that psalm, Lord, is the promise that you are the restorer of our souls. And there are so many who are feeling weak and feeling weary, feeling battered, feeling just bruised by the trials of life. You're the restorer of our souls, Lord. You're the restorer of our souls. You are the restorer of our souls in your grace. and So we give ourselves to you afresh today, Lord. I just pray that you would be glorified among us again. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand? To him who is faithful to finish the work that you started in us unto the day of Christ Jesus. May you receive all glory, honor, wisdom, power, dominion, and praise in and through our lives. And truly made a Lamb received the reward of his suffering. He who was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Silent before his shearers. Thank you, Lord. Be glorified among us now now and forevermore. Amen.